The company's rapid remediation and mitigation measures saved thousands of small and medium-sized businesses, saved them from suffering devastating impacts to their operations, ensured business continuity was never a threat, nor had any impact to critical infrastructure. Go back about your business, people. It's fine. Smashing Security, Episode 235, Revil Returns, TikTok Grows, and Get Turned Defaced, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, Episode 235. My name's Graham Cluley. And I'm Carol Terrio. And Carol, this week we have joining us somebody who hasn't been on the show before, but they are a technology journalist and author of some renown. It is Chris Stoker-Walker. Hello, Chris. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. This is, I mean, you've done probably more writing than we ever have in the whole 235 episodes. I hire a whole load of monkeys and typewriters. That's the thing that people don't know is I outsource a lot of it. Because <laughs> you're, you're well known for having written a book about YouTube, aren't you? But more recently, you've been writing in another book yeah well I, I wrote a book about youtube graham i wouldn't say i'm well known for it because books don't sell but um yeah I wrote, <laughs> I, you know, I wrote a book about youtube because i wanted to justify the amount of time that i spent on youtube and then suddenly tiktok took over my life in the same way so i needed to do the same thing so that my girlfriend didn't shout at me so i have a book coming out on tiktok uh on july 22nd and have you managed to keep this girlfriend despite spending so much time on tiktok or does she love tiktok too well, this is a thing, Carol. She spends more time on TikTok than uh-huh. I do. You uh-huh. have chosen smartly. Well, have I? I mean, we sit on the sofa and then just suddenly I hear this music <laughs> that I hear on TikTok about a year ago. And then suddenly I'm like, you're on there all the time now. So what's happening? Okay, but I've never, ever been on TikTok in my life. No, normally. That is not out of, like, pride. Well, maybe a little tiny bit. <laughs> I think it's a generational thing, Carol. I yeah. think TikTok has passed us by. 67% of people on tiktok are over the age of 25 that is a data point in my book that tiktok does not want the world to know but because i have sneaky sources i know that sort of stuff what about over 40 (laughs) 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 i i've interviewed an 87 year old for my book so yeah there is still hope for you yet and they just said i've never heard of tiktok (laughs) (laughs) no he has millions of fans it's obscene whoa okay i'm gonna have to buy your book now Everyone, we've got to do this. <laughs> <laughs> Let's thank this week's sponsors, 1Password, Before, and Privacy.com. Their support helps us give you this show for free. Now, coming up on today's show, Graham, what do you got? Oh, I've got ransomware, which has been rampaging around the world. And what about you, Chris? We know TikTok. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, but I also have some other stuff about the future of tech. Brilliant. And I'm visiting Getter, the new Twitter for some users. Let's find out. All this and much more coming up on this episode of Smashing Security. Now, chums, chums, in recent days here in the United Kingdom, we've had marvellous news shared with us by our glorious leader, uh, Mr. Alexander Boris de Pfeffel Johnson. I was, I was told I'm not allowed to call him Bojo because it's too affectionate. I, oh. I was told that in the weekend. Oh, what are you uh, I was suggest- to call him I, then? <laughs> the suggestion was <laughs> actually. Oh, oh, steady. I was at a girl's weekend. So, you oh, know. I see. 
Um, well, anyway, uh, apparently something called Freedom Day is approaching us, as opposed to a, a non-wearing mask apocalypse day. I'm not sure. Oh, I- anyway, <laughs> the UK government has decided, oh, we're a bit bored with all this sort of isolation and working from home and all that sort of nonsense. And so they're going to say, basically, it's up to you, England, to sort yourself out. <laughs> We've been living like this, haven't we, for 18 months, right? And people have been home working. And according to some reports... Around about three quarters of companies are looking to permanently shift to more remote work post-pandemic, which is a fabulous idea. You know, I'm all in favour of that. I think in some situations, well, yeah, well, mostly because I've been working at home for the last eight years. um, You like your home as well, and you're happy (laughs) there. So, exactly, I'm fairly happy here. But I I think for some people, it does give you more flexibility. There are some benefits. If you had, if you were like our our Mm. uh, fellow podcaster Javad, who has four kids. Mm. Would you also think living at home for the last 18 months and trying to work full-time job would have been fun and easy? I think that would be quite a challenge. <laughs> right? Put the children out in the garden or something or up the chimney. <laughs> That's not how it works, Graham. They're not rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like maybe it was a family of rabbits breeding there if they've got four kids. But anyway, the thing is this. It, it's great, this idea of remote work and having the option. But if you are a business, you still need to be able to keep your users patched and keep their software updated to ensure that they stay secure. And there are products out there on the marketplace which help companies do that. Products like one called Kaseya VSA. And what that aims to do is to help you manage IT inside your company. So they sell the companies saying this will help you and all your remote workers stay safer type thing. Yeah, they sell it to companies. They also sell it to MSPs, which are managed service providers. So they sell it to other companies who will then take on their own customers. Capitalism. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a great way to sell it, right? So even if your staff are working from home, you can monitor the security of their devices. You can ensure that they get the latest security patches. Sounds marvelous. In their own words, Kaseya says this maximizes efficiency, enhances security and reduces costs. I love marketing messages so much, so much. Sounds marvellous. Mm-hmm. What could possibly go wrong? TM Graham Cluley. <laughs> well, last Friday night, July 2nd, just as American companies were shutting down for their Independence Day holiday weekend. Yes, yes. Right? Big weekend, yeah. Apparently quite a big deal in America. They get quite excited about that. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, companies on that day, they began to report if they were using Kaseya VSA, that they started to have some issues. Okay, like what? And it turned out that the Revel gang, or Revel gang, a ransomware gang, had exploited a vulnerability in Kaseya VSA, in that software, to install ransomware onto companies' PCs, encrypting their data, locking them out of VSA, and demanding a ransom. And there were victims around the world so just so the weekend it, when you wouldn't want it to happen it sounds very exciting but it sounds also like very typical ransomware stuff not 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 exactly no because usually what happens is you'll hear a report of one company being hit by ransomware or another company and, and those are fairly common occurrences but what happened here was a fairly simultaneous attack against hundreds zero day plus ransomware <laughs> means wonga wonga is that what you're saying <laughs> right Right. Okay. It took him a while to figure that one out, actually. <laughs> if I were a ransomware guy, I would have figured that way earlier. I'm just saying. Yeah, but you have to find a vulnerability in a piece of software that loads people. There's not many of those, you're right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's caused problems. So there's a Swedish <laughs> supermarket chain, which is either called Co-op or Coop, um, which... <laughs> 
we might know ourselves. I always go to the co-op. Coop. Yeah, right. But they shut down about 500 of their stores. <gasps> really? Cash registers were on the blink. Self-service stills weren't working. Oh. Meatballs, mashed potatoes and lingonberries went unsold. <laughs> when it began to open some stores, people asked, well, look, I, c- I can see you've got some sausages there and some bacon <laughs> and some mashed potato. Could you pay for that on the smartphone? But can you go to a, Can you pay for that online? They also got rid of lots of strawberries because they couldn't sell the strawberries. Which That's is fantastic. right. What you mean, Chris, is like by get rid of, they didn't just throw them out or give them to the rats. They, they hand them out to people. They gave them away. You could have free strawberries. Oh, that's very good co-op. Very good. Is there a Bergman film, Wild Strawberries or something? Yes. There you go. It's a little bit of culture for you. <laughs> yes. Here on Smashing Security. Um, not the Swedish supermarkets, though. Schools and kindergartens in New Zealand, they were affected as well. Right. So a global attack, like people all Absolutely. over got hit. Awful. And this gang, the Revel gang, largely made up of Russian-speaking hackers, they were demanding $45,000 worth of Bitcoin to decrypt every infected PC, or if you want to decrypt your entire domain, $5 million. But that's really shit because loads of companies that got hit wouldn't even have that cash lying about if they oh, were small think business. Rubbish, oh, you don't, you don't think that's a very good idea? You don't think that's good, Krill? <laughs> you don't think that's a good thing that's happened? No. Oh, I see. You're not, you're not <laughs> applauding the capitalism and the entrepreneurship of these ransomware attackers. I never oh, was. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Interesting. Oh. Now, kindergartens don't have that kind of money. I think they do. I think they do. They do. have that. Oh, do. You do, right? <laughs> because have you ever seen a kid count? You know, if you, if you can imagine them at the play tills and they're just going like, yeah, here's $45,000. Yeah, that's absolutely fine. <laughs> I'm not sure if that would be acceptable to Damn. the ransomware gang. So how did this happen? Well, as Kroll has already alluded to, the hackers exploited a zero-day vulnerability in Kaseya's software, which was running on-premises. Planting a malicious update that then got rolled out to the users. Now, I said the vulnerability was a zero day, but actually, Kaseya did know about the vulnerability. They just hadn't rolled out a patch for it yet. They had been told about the vulnerability a while before by a bunch of researchers called Divid. And <coughs> Divid is the <laughs> D or Div D. They are the Dutch Institute for Vulnerability Disclosure. I don't know if they're a real institute. Anyone can call themselves an institute. Right, and they got in touch with them, and it was suitably ignored. No, 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 it wasn't ignored. No. Right. So the Dutch researchers got in touch with Kassai and said, hey, we found a bit of a problem. Huddle. We think this could be exploited by bad guys. Yeah. Maybe you want to patch against this. And so Kassai were going through the back and forth of, okay, thank you for telling us about this. We're exploring it. Oh, we think we fixed it. Here's our patch. Can you tell us if our patch is working properly? So there's all this going back and forth. Okay. So it hadn't quite been properly fixed or publicized. But somehow the Mm. hackers found out about the vulnerability as well. Now, whether that was coincidence. Yeah, exactly. I've already got conspiracy hat on. I'm like, I wonder if there's a leak somewhere. Because, well, that's an interesting question, isn't it? Because potentially, if you're charging millions and millions to have companies systems decrypted by ransomware, a gang would potentially pay you a few million dollars for a vulnerability like that, right? Yeah. If they saw the potential. So there could have been someone on the inside who did it, or maybe the hackers 
actually were intercepting the communications between the security researchers and Kaseya, or maybe they'd compromised Kaseya. Or maybe were, they're a disgruntled employee from one of the places and they haven't changed any of the usernames and passwords, so they still right. have full access. Or maybe yeah. it really is just a coincidence. Quinky dinks. You know, it's a bit I like inventing know. television in the same place simultaneously. Columbo wouldn't believe it was a coincidence, would he? I was watching some Columbo a couple of days ago. Wow. 50, eh? So good. No, <laughs> I did it when I was 30 as well. It's not an age thing. <laughs> if I've got the choice between watching Columbo and TikTok, I'm going to watch Columbo. Yeah. There's probably an opportunity to create a Columbo account on TikTok. <gasps> it's Peter Falk dead. Yes, I'm afraid so. He got uh, very, very ill towards oh. the end. And there were stories that his widow was preventing his kids from seeing him. Oh. I think he had Alzheimer's or something. This turned depressing. Don't worry, it's a comedy show. It'll be fine. We'll do some weird turnaround in a second. Yeah. Keep it light, you said. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho, Graham, you were saying. So, so, where did the bad guys get the vulnerability? Did they find it themselves? Was it given to them by the Russians or somebody else? And was there a significance to the attack happening just before July 4th? Because one of the things which the malware does... Mm-hmm. is it changes the password on your computer. Do you know what it changes the password <laughs> Bastards! to? <laughs> Jesus! It changes it to de-Trump forever, or maybe de-Trump forever. Oh, interesting. Sure. Hard yeah. to know what that's related to. So do you think it's kind of trying to do a pro, pro? I don't think it was Donald Trump who did the coding somehow. <laughs> I don't think he was the programmer. He does claim his son, Baron, is very, very skilled at computers, but I don't think... By that, does he mean that he plays Fortnite? <laughs> is that what Baron Trump is skilled at computers about? Oh, it could be, couldn't it? It also set a registry key, Black Lives Matter. I don't know what all the relevance of this was, but this, this was in the code. It sounds very disinformation-y. I, it sounds it, like someone who was yeah. just going, blah, 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 blah. let's just say yeah. loads of stuff to confuse everybody, because we can. It could be that. Now, we are recording this podcast four days after the attack. And much has been written about it already. It's made really big news. Kaseya, of course, are trying to put some spin, some positive spin on the story to rescue <laughs> like, its reputation. Hey, don't worry. Your information has not been stolen yet. <laughs> well, let me tell you the headline of the press release. That Can you do it in a morning. really happy, supportive voice, like trying to make me, like you would like a child, to say, this is a good thing. Okay, okay. <clears throat> Kaseya responds swiftly to sophisticated cyber attack, mitigating global disruption to customers. <laughs> that sounds like good news, doesn't it? Yeah. Companies working alongside agencies and leading incident response teams to support impacted small and medium-sized businesses. The company's rapid remediation and mitigation measures saved thousands of small <laughs> and medium-sized businesses. We're amazing! Oh, yeah, save them from suffering devastating impacts to their operations. Ensured business continuity. Don't mention the ones who got hit. Huzzah, huzzah. This attack was never a threat, nor had any impact to critical infrastructure. Go back about your business, people. It's fine. D-Trump forever. Well, so um, that all sounds marvellous. I, I think IT is considered critical infrastructure, actually, by the NSC in the States. But the, the spin continued. And they released a video. Kaseya's CEO, a guy called 
Fred Vokala. Oh, God, can I just guess? Can I just guess before you say what it was? Yeah. Is he talking yeah. to camera and he has a yeah. op- no tie, but a, a, a yeah. shirt on with a button open, bit Tony Blairy, and his elbows are on the desk. He's on a desk because it's serious. There's a desk well, between. Yeah. Yeah, and then he's talking yeah. right to camera saying this is a serious thing. I haven't seen this. I'm just guessing. Okay. He's wearing a polo shirt, actually, because he's got some impressive guns, I suspect. Oh. Not guns as in um, as in firearms. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe he does. Who knows? But, uh, <laughs> but he's, he's, you know, he looks, looks like he might do CrossFit. You know, he right. looks a bit... It looks a bit beefy. It looks like you Pel- don't want to Maybe he does the Peloton him. with his hands. He, he might do. And he's there in his corner office. And uh, he's, it, what the what thing he wants to emphasize that is that Kaseya has 40,000 customers. But <laughs> only 50, he says, have been affected. Only 50. And they put out a press release about this as well. Just say, does he work out the stats for us? Deal. Like the percentage for that? It's like 0.001. Well, yeah, it, yeah. it, it is a small percentage. Yes. But... Of course, many of Kaseya's customers are managed service <laughs> providers. Representing. <laughs> right. Yep. And apparently they support around about one million businesses around the world. This is, is where a, a positive more. spin bites you in the you-know-where, eh? So they're quite right in a way in saying maybe very few of their direct customers were affected. So... They are saying that of the around about 1 million local and small businesses that are managed by Kaseya's customers, brackets their MSPs, only around 800 to 1,500 have been compromised. And that sounds awfully like they're blaming their MSP customers rather than their own buggy software for this problem and for the screw-up. So it's really hard to come out with accurate numbers as to how many businesses have been affected. We know about the Swedes. We know about the Kiwis. We know about some other companies around the world who've been hit by this. Uh, really, the only group which truly knows the scale of the attack is the Revel ransomware group themselves. They are saying on their website, because, of course, like all good ransomware gangs, they run a website on the dark web <laughs> where they publicize their attacks and issue press releases. They are saying... Do they, have, do they have one of those little thermometers that we used to have in schools where it's like, we've almost reached our goal no. of infecting this many people? Like a telethon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They don't have that. <laughs> but they're saying around about a million systems were infected. And what they've very kindly offered to do is they said, look, we do have a way of producing an Uber decryption tool, not a decryption tool to do with taxi cabs, an Uber decryption tool, a, a sort of... Mother <laughs> decryption tool, Whoa. right? Which, well, yep. okay. Mother flipping decryption tool <laughs> that will decrypt files of everybody. And they say, you can buy this for a mere $70 million worth of Bitcoin. Crowdfunded people is what they're saying. Oh, my God, I should totally be a ransomware hacker. You should work in their marketing department. I should. I God. Chris, do you think Carol would be any good if she were to publicize either our podcast or maybe ransomware <laughs> gangs on TikTok? I think so. I think it would run the risk of undoing a lot of the work, though, because isn't the whole point of this that you don't really draw attention to it until you're ready to spring the, hey, here's all of our customers tied up and things like that? Whereas, yeah, Carol seems like a like a hype woman. She's very, you know, we- <laughs> tell me about it. You should hear her plug in her other podcast, plug in her art website. Constant. All the time. Absolutely constant. Me, me, me. Yeah, now, like. Reuters no. asked Fred. Fred is Kaseya's... Uh, is he like Cher? Is he like Cher? What? He just has one name. Yeah, exactly. Fred 
is now saying, if only I could turn back time. <laughs> if I could find a way. He's refused to say to Reuters whether he is prepared to talk to the hackers or not. He says, I can't comment yes. No, or maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that's because he's being locked down by the board, who is saying, wait till legal, we're waiting for legal. He says, no comment on anything to do with negotiating with terrorists in any way. Yeah. So, you know, and of course, many governments are now trying to discourage companies from negotiating, aren't they, when they get hit by good. ransomware attacks. Do you think I it's agree- good? Yes, I do think it's good. I realize that it can be very difficult. <laughs> like I could agree that there's a lot of gray and it's not an easy decision. It's not black or white. But well, well, what if it means you lose your job, Carol? You, your business goes kaput because you got encrypted one day. You can't get your data back and your backups are screwed. But I have to pay them what? Money. Yeah, you have to pay them, two th- let's say, £2,000 and you can get your data back. Yeah, well, I hear you. Right. I'd like to say no, you know? Would you say no? Probably. I'd probably just start a co- new company the next day. What, do, what about you, Chris? <laughs> Would you say no? I well, I'm I'm fascinated by ransomware negotiators, mm. which seem to have just kind of popped up out of nowhere and yeah. are getting a lot of press. So, I think I would probably say yes because I more than anything want to see how it works. Because someone has contacted them already and said, "How can we go about buying this this big decryptor?" And they said, well, look, for you, $50 million. So they already cut $20 million off the price to one Never person. negotiate against yourself. Yeah, yeah, so, exactly. So they basically, they want 5 mil. They're just, no, they're they just want starting 70. high. They want yeah, 70. yeah, they wanted 70. Like what they want and what they're going to end up saying okay to. But I think if you could make friends with them, if you could find some common ground, like if you found out they were Barbara Streisand fans, for instance, <laughs> then they might feel a little bit more prepared to help you out. That's what I see people doing all the time in these movies when someone's taken hostage. But these people are terrorists. We, Fred says they're terrorists. They always do is send pizza, right? It's like, can I get you some food? Can I get you some pizza? That's what terrorist negotiators seem to do, in my view. I think you're mixing up Just Eat with <laughs> negotiators. <laughs> Chris, what have you got to talk to us about this week? It's TikTok, and TikTok is sending user data to China, reports CNBC. Um, Yes. Which is shocking, except for the fact that I sort of said this three months ago in a separate story, Um, (laughs) which I think is interesting because it shows how much we need to pay attention to this thing that we don't yet pay attention to. And it feeds into this broader issue that we're seeing with Didi in China, the Chinese tech giant that is kind of being cracked down on by the ruling Communist Party because it committed the heinous crime of daring to send some of its Chinese user data to the US. So we kind of just have that Spider-Man meme where everybody is pointing at each other and saying, don't send our user data outside of our countries. Um, So TikTok is owned. So you tell me if this is true or not true, because I really, I've never been on TikTok in my life. It's owned by ByteDance, am I right? It is. So it's owned by ByteDance. They have a lot of their engineering team in China. They're trying to diversify that. They're hiring a lot of people in Dublin. Uh, They're hiring a lot of people across Europe and in the United States basically to start developing their apps, but the majority of their expertise is still based in China. And so you are bound, unless you want to not you know, patch security issues or anything like that, you're bound to have some data going back to China. But 
because of D Trump Forever, we seem to have this this sort of <laughs> massive fear, I suppose, of data moving offshore. And that's not just China and the US kind of doing that with each other. You know, Schrems 2 in Europe is all about kind of moving data away from the European Union. And it, it kind of typifies this thing where we have a global internet and lots of people saying, well, actually, I like all the good bits of the global internet, but I don't want you to be able to operate the global internet and all the services that run on it in a truly global way. I just want you to have everything within 30 miles of me so that I can tap the person on the shoulder that is in control yeah. of my data and say, give me my data or something. I don't really know what it, huh. the goal is. So what sort of user data is TikTok actually collecting? Because I've never been on TikTok. Oh, I got, I'll, look, I'll look on my phone while you're talking because I'll see what Apple tells me, it says. Okay. I've never been on TikTok, but it's mostly people doing dances and little short like one-minute video. Is that correct? Yeah. So it, basically all the videos are less than a minute long until – basically this week when they started to open it oh. up to all users to be able to upload videos three minutes long or oh, less. Oh, really? So they've, yeah. they've trebled their, their space for each Isn't person. Isn't that going to be rather more tiring for people doing crazy dances? If it you is. For three minutes rather than one minute. For those 50 and 87-year-olds that are doing yeah. those dances, it is. But thankfully, people are evolving and doing more than just dances. People right. Are often now pointing at things. Some of the you know, the, the old person <laughs> pointing. I can, pointing yeah. isn't a problem. Well, this is the thing. There is like an old person's playbook for TikTok, which is basically if you're not going to do the dancing, then the first video that you do is you point at stuff, uh, and and that's apparently a TikTok, which I never really get. Well, I've just looked up on my phone to see. You know, you're asking what kind of data do they take yeah. from you, right? Yeah. So listed on Apple's privacy section, what you know, mm. data used to track you: purchases, location, contacts, search history, identifiers, diagnostics, financial info, contact info, user contact, browsing history, and usage data. And then underneath that, it has a data not linked to you, usage data. So there's, they're in both categories. So hardly anything. They're hardly collecting anything they're, at nothing, all. Nothing. Nothing. Right. And presumably, the stated reason for collecting this information is to target advertising. Yeah. So the, the reason that they do that is basically they want to serve you better adverts and also in order to improve their algorithm, which is one of the big secret sources that has made TikTok so incredible. So... By, you know, by the power of mind reading, it will know exactly what Carol wants when ah. she downloads the app and starts opening it. Because they know what videos she's enjoyed before, and so they'll give her more of that or other videos that people who liked the same videos enjoyed. Or So it becomes stickier content in a way. Exactly. And because of the fact that it is shorter videos, they get more data points on you because you are engaging with uh -huh. more videos over, say, an hour's session on TikTok than on YouTube where you know, the people rabbit on for so long that you actually get <laughs> halfway through a video and they've still not got past the first ad break. So there's also this concern about TikTok white-labeling its technology and maybe coming out with different versions of TikTok, or what's the concern here? So this is partly the benefit of having such a successful app. The, you know, All those videos that my girlfriend watches so that TikTok can build up a minute, detailed profile of what she's interested in has helped fuel the algorithm and make it quite so powerful that now other companies want in on it. And TikTok's mm. parent company, ByteDance, hmm. has realized 
the power and the potential money making in that. So, you know, they could go down two different routes with all that data. They could lock it up and demand, you know, seven hundred million dollars to decrypt it or whatever it is. Or they could sell the algorithm as a white label product to other companies. Um so you too can have the TikTok algorithm or a probably cut down version of it, because why would you give away the farm if you've got a an app that gives you 732 million monthly active users um and you can then put this version of your algorithm into your company or your app or your website mm. so they're starting to develop this and it's um it's interesting because it, it kind of touches on this idea that that Graham story looked at which mm. is if you white label lots of things from the same company you run the risk of concentration, which is great if everything goes right. So, yeah, strawberries for everybody at an affordable price in Swedish supermarkets when uh, you know, point of sales service works correctly. But when it goes wrong, it goes wrong catastrophically. And I think some of the more conspiratorially minded people who worry about sort of the invasion of Chinese tech on the rest of the world mm. will be looking at this and maybe worrying slightly. I remember just the New York Times and a few maybe American papers were kind of saying, where's your data going? Should your kids be on TikTok? And there was this whole kind of hoopla about it, but then it died down. Yeah, well, that's just Josh Hawley. He was the guy <laughs> who stuck his fist up at the January the 6th rioters. Um, so, you know, you yeah. got to trust that guy. Um, that, that's <laughs> him basically saying that China and TikTok is a deep state plot to try and... Uh poison your kids in the same way that i don't know the west did that with mcdonald's to the yeah. soviet union like i don't know was yeah. that a deep state plot yeah it's a bit like television or jazz there's always something in every generation <laughs> isn't there which is going to destroy us all yeah and apparently that's charlie d'amelio drinking <laughs> coffee from dunkin donuts and doing the renegade i don't know it to me like yeah, I did, sorry, I didn't understand any of that. Was that all? Tic, was that all TikTok memes? Stuff that was all. That, that was all TikTok stuff. Yeah, Don't okay, worry, that's what, oh, good. That's, I feel good about it going over my head now. Right. <laughs> um, there is this idea that some people seem to have that you know there are spies in China secretly watching your daughter do silly dances in her bedroom, and the argument that I always have against that is. Your daughter already does the silly dances and already posts them on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook, and probably Twitter as well. So why exactly would they need to go on TikTok to find that? Like, there's this weird leap that I never fully get. Um, the future of tech is a really important discussion that we need to have, and whether or not we're going to have a sort of Silicon Valley-based technology ecosystem for the next 25 years just as we had for the last 25 years which you know, those of us outside of the us may feel is not necessarily the best way to do things or whether or not we have a chinese focused future of tech which again has its major issues um i kind of feel like both are on polar opposite ends of a bad spectrum and we should be somewhere in the middle chris if i was to pin you down and say tiktok good or bad what would your answer be um tiktok good it's it's youtube well youtube also good i but i i, I am generally a tech skeptic so overall i think that these things are fine i dislike right. the fact that youtube pornhub pornhub excellent obviously <laughs> clearly great content Again, don't tell my girlfriend. No, she, she's um, watching it already, Chris. But yeah, I mean, I agree 100%. Like, tech companies are terrible. 
they're run by terrible people. Mark Zuckerberg should not have filmed himself on a wave board on oh, July the 4th. I just saw that. This, oh, I, did, yes. I have not seen this. It's worse scene. than Fred. I'll, we'll put a link in the show notes, Krog. <laughs> Don't oh. go click on that oh. link, people. <laughs> do you need to see it? If I had to see it, you do as well. It's incredible. <laughs> no. <laughs> nope. I've, yeah, I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid. So basically, the whole point of this thing is that um, TikTok and ByteDance are, are coming for the world. There are serious issues around where we put data flows and we're starting to see the opposite of that happening in that the west is generally worried about data being shipped to china with tiktok and also zoom earlier in the pandemic and the idea that our calls were being routed through china's servers which is not ideal i don't think chris if you want to complain about that i think you've gone about this the wrong way you shouldn't have written a book about it you should have made a series of one minute long videos and posted them up on tiktok yeah, where well, you're breakdancing, you, you could wrap it. But I'm doing both. I wrote the book, and then now I'm chunking the book up into one-minute-long videos that are being seen. You're kidding. I think he only wrote the book to promote his TikTok account, is the truth. <laughs> yes, exactly. How many followers do you have, Chris? Not enough at all. I only have, like, 50, because I'm not very good at TikTok, and I'm old. I'm 32. So you Point know. at something! <laughs> <laughs> Carol, what's your story for us this week? Okay, so imagine there's a brand new online service, social service that becomes available online, Tic Tac. Oh, no, TM, that's a TM, isn't it? Um, like, say, a new social media platform. And let's say uh, in your echo chamber, everyone is a buzz about it. What would be your modus operandi? Would you sign up? Because, you know, FOMO. Uh, would you proceed with caution, reading the terms and conditions, being like crawl about it? No, that sounds boring. No, if my if my friends were on it, and if I thought this this would be a fun place to hang out, then maybe maybe I would check it out and compare it with other places. With your master email address? Yeah, sure. Why not? Or maybe maybe I'd create because I've got my own domain name. I could create anything in you know in the oh, you're so cool. Use a wow. bit. Wow, the power! Oh, he's amazing, Chris. What about you? <laughs> I would stay away. I, I'm I'm one of those who did not join Yo. Sadly, oh the Yo app. And I feel like I did not miss out. I also didn't join the Matt Hancock app, and thank God I did not. Was the Yo app, it just said Yo? It just yeah. said Yo to people. That, yeah, I remember that. That was hugely popular amongst yeah. a certain group of BuzzFeed reporters about five years ago. It's so clever, because it does nothing! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Meta, meta man, meta. Because, um, okay, so there's that saying, the reason I'm asking this, right, is... There's that saying, the early bird gets the worm. And I think that might be true for a few unpredictable internet instances, like maybe buying Bitcoin early, right? But I would argue when it comes to tech and online service, the early bird, you know, all a flat because the marketing message resonate or there's an incentive or all my mates are doing it, like Graham says, might just find themselves ensnared by online yuckiness. Case in point, gentlemen, Graham and listeners. <laughs> Let me. Well, what about Chris? Chris is a gentleman. I'm not, I'm not allowed. He's a gentleman, oh. right? Comma Graham, comma He's a gentleman. and listeners, gentleman. I think he's yeah. a man as well. Well, yeah, well, very formal. Thank you. You're very, very welcome. Um, let me introduce you to what looks like a Twitter ripoff. Getter. Now, this has been created by the former president's team, and they quietly launched a new social media platform. Well, basically in mid-June, and the big launch was going to be on Independence Day, July 4th, and it was being billed as an alternative to big tech sites. So 
the name is Getter and it advertises itself as a marketplace of ideas. Okay. Quote, fighting cancel culture, promoting common sense, defending free speech, challenging social media monopolies and creating a true marketplace of ideas. Amazing. <laughs> now, okay, first, is it just me? Okay. But Getter, okay. Spelt G-E-T-T-R. Sounds a lot like get her, right? Like get oh, the I witch. Yeah. Doesn't it? it doesn't, does. well, get her. I don't know. I, seeing all the accusations that have been made against the former president, you'd think they would have thought, seen that or, you know. But anyway, they apparently it came from get, getting together. Should have been grab her instead, you think. Grab her. Yeah. Oh my God. What I like about this is that it seems to be trying to capture the kind of old school Twitter thing of, you know, remember when Twitter didn't actually have any vowels in it? Like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I forgot that. Yeah. And if you look at the person who's behind it, Jason Miller, I'm, I'm kind of inclined to believe that the last time that he was on the internet was possibly when Twitter launched as Twitter. So according to Politico, Getter, the app, is apparently one of the highest profile projects of the pro-MAGA social media platform. And it's largely fueled by a sense that big tech is attempting to silence conservative and pro-Trump ideology. And, you know, to be fair, there is quite a lot of problems in that front, isn't there? Because he's been banned from YouTube. He's uh, been suspended by Facebook until 2023 and by Google or Alphabet, actually, the parent company of Google. Yes, but he did He did create that website from the desk of Donald Trump, didn't he? That went away very quickly, yeah, didn't it? Yeah, it disappeared after a couple of weeks. But it was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, come on, we mustn't laugh. Good for him to try. Pre-launch, right? Pre-launch, pre-Independence Day, it wasn't actually smooth sailing because according to Mother Jones, there was a spam comment left en masse below the Getter welcome message, which said, oh. a welcome to Getter and start a new journey. Mm-hmm. Including, so the spam include things like anime porn oh. and repeated copies of an image depicting Hillary Clinton's head photoshopped onto another woman's nude body. So really mature stuff done by some really high class hackers. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know, I don't want to use the word hackers. <laughs> I don't know, online, online miscreants. Basically, they just didn't have the right filters in place, the right protections. What was the, um, the app that was linked to the January the 6th stuff that disappeared as well? Like, it wasn't Gab, was it? Oh, yeah. Oh, um, I- we covered it, I think. Um, it, this shows you, though, how likely Getter is to survive, isn't it? Is weird alt-right apps. Well, if you ask Steve Bannon, you know what he said? He called it a Twitter killer. Wow. <laughs> now, <laughs> Twitter killer. Twitter killer. Now, do you want to guess what the initial trending topics on Getter when it launched officially were? Uh, D Trump forever. <laughs> Hashtag Trump. Mm-hmm. Black mm-hmm. Lives Matter. No, funny. No, funny. No, no, more like uh, hashtag virus origin, hashtag NRA, oh. and hashtag unrestricted bioweapon. So, fun so, stuff. They're not very good at hashtags, are they? <laughs> it's a long one, isn't it? So, other than the spam stuff, there were one or two, um, I don't know, snafets maybe that happened during this launch. So, mm. one is there's a remarkable similarity to Twitter, as you mentioned. Uh, this is again from Politico. Republican state candidate Sean Parnell of Pennsylvania had over 175,000 followers on Getter as of Thursday afternoon. Wow, that's, that's impressive. Despite Graham only joining the platform on Thursday, that same day. Wow. 
That's amazing. So, <laughs> bot. Yeah. Do you think? <laughs> oh, sorry. Did I cough that? <laughs> and two, according to several media sources like Reuters, on July 4th, the day getter was scheduled to be officially launched and was, um, it got hacked by someone called Juba Baghdad or J-U-B-A Baghdad. According to Insider, the accounts were first hacked around 8.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on Sunday, and the majority of the profiles returned to their previous state by an hour and a half later, by 10 a.m. And one of Getter's creators, I don't know if it was our Jason Miller guy that said this, but one of them, one of the guys there said, the problem was detected and sealed in a matter of minutes. And all the intruder was able to accomplish was to change a few usernames. Well, when I looked into it, it was a little bit more than that. CNET reported that the account profiles uh, were being defaced with pro-Palestinian messages and... uh the attacks were like Mike Pompeo's account was affected, Steve Bannon's, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Harler Hill, Sean Parnell, and uh, Newsmax were hacked. I'd say I'm quite pleased because a few days ago when I first heard about Getter, I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. I'll, I'll go get an, an account. account. <laughs> yeah, I'll go get an account. And <laughs> unfortunately, it, I, I failed to be able to create an account because it fell over with left. some kind of bug. Maybe it was too... <laughs> and possibly. I don't know if they would have known that, but it, maybe it was just... Being too popular, just couldn't stand all the interest. Well, there's like, yeah, well, you know, some people have been able to get a hundred thousand followers in just an afternoon, Graham. Well, so, well, yeah, well, if only exactly, you got on. I quite like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, um, but when I look at it, it is remarkably like Twitter. Oh, do you isn't think? It? I mean, like the whole, <laughs> the whole design, like the icons, like almost everything. If you go to someone's profile, it's just a complete ripoff. Uh huh. Is there not anything that can be done about Twitter it? refused to comment is in, in all the places I looked today. So I haven't right. seen any comment from them at all in this point. But um, interestingly, our, the, the guy that kind of did this whole hacky thing, Juba Baghdad, uh, told Insider that although Getter fixed the initial bug, he was still able to scrape user data from individual accounts, including email addresses and birth years. And he confirmed this by sharing the details of a test account Insider set up. Right. And he said the whole attack took him 20 minutes to work and it was just for fun. So, so that makes me worry about their security a little bit, guys. And thirdly, their poster boy, hashtag Trump, ain't a member, right? And he's probably waiting to see what happens before, you know, he joins. So I got to think maybe he does have a brain cell or five because he's standing back to see if it's a, uh, you know, he's not going to go in half cocked. Maybe he can't remember his password. Or maybe he's having the same <laughs> trouble I had. Trying to create an account. I think every journalist in the world are asking, has he joined? So I saw a suggestion that some of these um, follow statistics may be a little bit bogus and that maybe, <laughs> maybe Getter has been scraping Twitter for, for information. Yeah. And that maybe some of these accounts have been sort of set up to make people appear more popular than they really are. Yeah, I think that is a very, very likely scenario. Shocking. Right. We're waiting for Twitter to comment. I think that would be, uh, that's that's what uh, I'm waiting for. I want to see what they say about this. Are they just thinking, who cares? It's going to go away in a month. I don't think Getter would be improved by having some short videos of people dancing or people older people pointing at things. I think it would. It is. Dad dances? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's nothing more than I like than pro-MAGA 
people dancing. <laughs> yeah. And Chris, is your, is your girlfriend on Getter at all? Has she shown any interest? She is not. Although, you know, if, as soon as she does, I will, I will inform the relevant authorities. <laughs> yeah. As long as she stays off, she's a keeper, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> it's horrific, isn't it, though? It's just terrible. It's a terrible, terrible it's thing. It's terrible. And, all of these things are terrible, and we should just. There is, you know, there isn't an argument to be made about the whole idea of do you deplatform people? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I covered a, a, a paper on this for New Scientist a couple of weeks ago, which looked at um, sort of eleven thousand YouTube channels and whether or not the the audience for them moved onto these sort of alt-right um, platforms when they were kicked off YouTube as they inevitably are for you know, all sorts of terrible, terrible things. And the example that they gave was Alex Jones, who then ended up on BitChute, which is kind of like the the getter of YouTube, I suppose. And he went from you know, having millions of followers there to you know, hardly any on these places. So is sunlight the best disinfectant or is it actually mm. a case of just shoving people off into the corner? I don't know. Yeah, it's going to take a while to get right though, right? Like I would rather it, I'd rather them struggle with who should they, who should they block and not block than let everyone, because I think the way that was going was getting extremely scary. Mm. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's a so complicated control. I assume control. You're, you don't have a problem with the idea of Getter and, and sites like it for that community. If they feel like they don't have a home elsewhere, but you, you, you have a problem with the security and the fact that it's been hacked and maybe they've been, there's some dubious And a cut and paste of Twitter, yes. in a, you know, and it just seems a little bit half-baked. And I worry that they're going after an audience that uh, may be less au fait with tech mm. and uh, may not be on the ball as much because they might be older or less used to this kind of stuff. And they might, you know, just do it. I mean, I remember meeting companies that were basically... I'm trying to be a service for old people to say, we'll help you protect yourselves from ads and bad stuff on your computer, ad blocker, oh, yeah. basically. Right? Like free things that you can download as a plugin. And they would charge like something like 25 quid per user to, to old people because they would pay because they didn't know anything else because they, did, they weren't using the internet in the same way right. that we were. Is that the beta version of ransomware? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think it's, you know, look after your parents, folks. No matter what side you're on in all this, look after your parents and like just make sure they're not doing cray cray stuff on the internet. Smashing Security is sponsored this week by the experts of One Password. Did you know that almost two thirds of all IT workers admit to reusing enterprise secrets between different projects, creating a potential gateway for attackers? 1Password's new research report, Hiding in Plain Sight, reveals the breadth and depth of mismanaged business secrets like code, passwords, credentials and keys, and that secrets mismanagement is the next big cybersecurity threat. Learn more by reading the full report at onepasswordcom resources, and thanks to 1Password for supporting the show. So what's a con game? It's a fraud that works by getting the victim to misplace their confidence in the con artist. In the world of security, we call confidence tricks social engineering. And as our sponsors know before can tell you, human error is how most organizations get compromised. 
Where there's human contact, there can be con games. It's important to build the kind of security culture in which your employees are enabled to make smart security decisions. And to do that, they need new school security awareness training. Know before the provider of the world's largest security awareness and simulated phishing platform. See how your security culture stacks up against Know Before's free phishing test. Get it now at knowbefore.com slash free test. That's K-N-O-W-B-E and the number four dot com slash free test. Think of Know Before for your security training. This episode is brought to you by the folks at Privacy.com. Privacy lets you buy things online using virtual cards instead of having to use your real ones. Protecting your identity and bank information on the internet. What a fantastic idea that is, and a great way of keeping your details out of the hands of the bad guys. Right now, new customers will automatically get $5 to spend on their first purchase. All you've got to do is go to Privacy.com slash smashing to sign up now. And thanks to Privacy.com for supporting the show. And welcome back. And join us at our favourite part of the show, the part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. (laughs) Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something they like. Could be a funny story, a book that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website, or an app. Whatever they wish. Doesn't have to be security-related necessarily. Better not be. Well, my Pick of the Week this week is not security-related. My Pick of the Week this week is... A computer video game, which I have been playing with my son. I'm a big fan of point-and-click adventure games. This one is a little bit old. I managed to pick it up because it was on special offer in the Nintendo Switch store. It only cost me about five quid. (laughs) Oh, because there was a deal, right? There was a deal recently. There was a flash sale or something. There was a Mm -hmm. special deal. You can also get it for Windows, OS X, Linux, PlayStation, Android, iOS, etc., etc., etc. It is called... Broken Sword 5, The Serpent's Curse. Okay. Let me let me paint the scene. A painting is stolen in Paris. Henri, the art gallery owner, is shot dead in the robbery. But all is not as it seems. You play the part of art insurance dude George Stobart, and with a little help from journalist Nicole Collade, You investigate the theft and the murder. And great fun it is, too. It's been around for years. I've never played it before, but we checked it out. And um, it's really intriguing and amusing. He does. He really likes it. Um, You got it for a fiver, right? How much would you pay now that you've played it? Well, obviously, you could always... I think think it's probably worth about 25 or 30 quid. Okay. I would say. Okay. Is it worth £45,000 per PC? (laughs) It is jolly good fun. And all of the, I don't know if this was true when it first came out, but certainly in the modern editions is they've got all of the characters are also voiced. So it doesn't, the words don't just come up on the screen, but they also have actors gone. There is a very amusing and very, yeah, this is French. French. Yeah, yeah. Uh, There's a very amusing Parisian waiter um, in it who's. Well, he goes, Mon Dieu. No, he is just. How dare you come into my restaurant and... Oh, okay. <laughs> the stereotypical... Uh, yeah. Parisian. Yeah. yeah, yeah very yeah. Parisian kind yeah. of service. Stereotypes. I found it very funny. I found it quite entertaining. And that is why Broken Sword 5, The Serpent's Curse, is my pick 
of the week. Go and check it out. Did you choose the number five so that you can actually have four, three, two, and one in future future picks of the week? That's lame. I won't, haven't played any others. Uh-huh. This is the thing for it. This is my first introduction to the Broken Sword series. So uh, cool. Also, by the way, with this particular version, you get behind the scenes videos about the creation of the game, and it's incredible the amount of effort which they go to. Which, as a former games programmer myself, I was very interested um, in watching how they had developed it. And uh, some of the how the engine works. Cool. Very, very interesting. Chris, what is your pick of the week? I originally had as my pick of the week a new scientist story, but then I decided that that's a bit boring about security. So instead, <laughs> I thought Good I'd man. talk about the uh, the Netflix series that I'm currently binging, which is This is a Robbery, the World's Biggest Art Heist. Ah, I've seen this. Yeah, it's a theme going on here. It's brilliant. So 1990. Boston Art Museum had the world's most expensive art heist. You know, priceless mm. paintings. Well, they're not priceless. Obviously, they had a price because you know, <laughs> there is a number attached to it. But you, you get the idea. Um, it was stolen by two people that have never been found. And I, I found this really interesting because alongside doing sort of tech reporting, I, I sometimes do what in journalism is called general features, mm. um, which is basically you sidle up to interesting people and say, well, what's all your life about then? And get them to tell you all of it. So I, I once went to Amsterdam to interview a guy who reunites stolen art with its owners. Oh, he's kind wow. of like a, Yeah, he's an Indiana Jones character. And... Um, <laughs> This was obviously pre-pandemic, but it wasn't too long before the pandemic. And this guy was like, I've spent decades of my life reuniting works of art with their owners. I've never been able to crack this case. And the the series is brilliant. It's really interestingly told. It is, Mm. as with all Netflix series, probably one or two episodes too long. So Yeah, because I think I heard this. I think I heard a podcast all about this art heist recently, but I haven't seen the Netflix show. Brilliant. Okay, that's so great. That's a great recommendation for me. Mm-hmm. This is is this the one I I think I remember seeing. Is this the one where the thieves dressed up as policemen? It's late. Yes, and it is. Yeah, and they they somehow managed to get buzzed into a museum where there are really expensive Rembrandts, and the people involved who were patrolling the museum at that night just happened to end up being tied up in a basement. Yes, That's right. There'd been a lot of weed being smoked by some of them as well, I think. They'd maybe been quite Jazz relaxed. cigarettes, please. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, and was. didn't they, I, I seem to remember from the podcast, thing I thought was most impressive is they actually sawed the pictures out of the frames. They did. And yeah. this is the thing. They don't care. They don't care about the actual art. Yes. They just kind of cut it out so that it can end up in some Russian or Irish or Italian oligarchs uh, front room oh. somewhere that they can just kind of show off to their their mafiosi friends. Oh, it's what a great pick of the week, though. Okay, I'm totally watching this. Very cool, Crow. What's your pick of the week? Mine. I don't want to let anyone down. Mine's a podcast, and not just oh, a, podcast, a podcast, but an audio drama, oh. and a very highly produced one with real actors and thrillery plot and all sorts of wonderful nonsense. And it's called. Mm. Passenger List. Have any of you heard it? No, but I'm going to after reading the website. Oh, it's so cool. It's so cool. So um, it just finished its second season. So I'm going to be a bit careful about what I say here and just stick to the first season for those that haven't heard it. I will say that I had to re-listen to the entirety of the season one from last year. So I heard, I don't know, whenever it came out. 
um, to keep up with the new season. Like it moves fast and it assumes that you have lost no knowledge when you start season two. So if you can binge it all at once, recommend it. So this is a Radiotopia podcast. They produce tons of great content. Um, and it was created by John Scott Dryden and co-written by Lauren Shippen, who created The Bright Session, another fave audio drama podcast of mine. Um, plus the soundscaping is awesome by Mark Phillips. And actors, you've got uh, Kelly Marie Tran, you've got Colin Morgan, you've got Rob Benedict. What's it about, Carol? What's it? Give me the... Okay, your, okay. Talk about Barry in the lead. Tell me what the bloody podcast is about. Ooh, pot kettle. Atlantic oh. Airlines flight 702 has disappeared mid-flight between London and New York. And there's 256 passengers on board. Oh, crikey. Caitlin Lee, she's a college student with a brother who was on the flight, right? Yeah. Is determined to uncover the truth because the plane has vanished. Aliens. Well, Lee aided by anonymous helpers, okay, set out to chase down the lead and works her way through like a sprawling web of conspiracy theories. North Pole. Yeah. Submarine. Yeah. Submarine. I think you'd like it, actually. This would be a good audio drama for you to try, I think. This would be, a, this is one I'd recommend for you. Um, I'm not saying anymore because I don't want to ruin anything. Uh, but shrinking, need, Ray. Shrinking. They were shrunk. If <laughs> you need an escape with some weird conspiracy theories to boot, check out Passenger List from Radiotopia. Oh. Links in the show notes, as always. Terrific. Well, what, uh, what a great bunch of picks of the week. Chris, I'm sure lots of our listeners would love to follow you online. And maybe find out more about your book as well. I don't think you've mentioned the name of your new book yet. What's the best way for folks to do that and to learn more? They can go to my Twitter bio because I don't really use much else. It is at Stokel, which is S-T-O-K-E-L. And there they can find out all about TikTok Boom, which is China's dynamite app and the superpower race for social media. Fantastic. And you can follow us on Twitter as well at Smash Insecurity. No G. Twitter on last to have a G. And we've also got a Smash Insecurity subreddit. And don't forget to ensure you never miss another episode. Follow Smash Insecurity in your favourite podcast apps such as Overcast, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And thanks to this episode's sponsors, 1Password, No Before, and Privacy.com, and to our wonderful Patreon community. It's thanks to all of them that this show is free. And for episode show notes, sponsorship information, guest lists, and the entire back catalogue of more than 236 episodes, check out SmashingSecurity.com. Until next time, cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye. Chris, do you want to say bye? Or fuck them. Yeah, bye. <laughs> fuck them. Sorry. <laughs> fuck you guys! <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, Carol here. Boy, we got a few sweet, sweet reviews this week. I am so chuffed. Um, I'll read my favorite because it mentions me. <laughs> By One Star Guru, quote, I love listening to your podcast while cooking and my flatmate always wonders why I'm laughing so hard with my pots and pans. I love the humor and information. Brilliant hosts and guests catching up on old episodes i love it p.s carol's paintings are cool can i order not yet but thanks for saying that promise i'll announce it on the show when they're available
We also got a review by Aubert's, hands down the most entertaining security podcast. Great hosts and guests. Highly recommend listening to the back catalogue. Thank you, Aubert. And MD126. This is one of the two podcasts I consistently listen to every week. I tell everyone it's because of the InfoSec news and insightful commentary. But it's really for the pick of the week. All my friends and family think I'm awesome as I'm always recommending cool stuff to them. Keep it up. Thank you, MD126. And thank you, all of you listeners, Patreon supporters, sponsors, and reviewers. We love you guys. See you next week. <laughs>